Hey everybody, uh, good morning and thank you so much for being uh, back with us as we continue to go through the book of Acts together. Uh, but before I get to the sermon uh, this morning, I just wanted to, uh, to as well say a uh, happy Mother's Day, uh, moms. Uh, thank you so much for everything you do. And I really do hope that today is one where you uh, feel how truly loved and appreciated uh, you are. Uh, if you've got a Bible, if you're not there already, if you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 5, uh, we're going to be looking at that classic Mother's Day story of Ananias and Sapphira. And as, as we look at that story, you might feel like, as I did this week as I first looked at it, that uh, when you start reading, when you read the, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, it can kind of hit you like a ton of bricks. And the reason I think it does that is, is up to this point in, in the book of Acts, the first four chapters of Acts, we have seen the church at its beginning. We've seen the church at its best. We, we've seen the, the church in its infancy doing uh, things that uh, feel like, seem like it should take the church some time to kind of build itself up to. And yet from the get-go, we, we see some pretty amazing things happen through uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we see God working. We see healings going on. We, we see the leadership standing up to opposition. We, we see great signs of health that we would love to see in our church. Uh, great preaching is going on. Uh, I, I think it's so telling that the first committee meeting hadn't been invented yet. And yet probably most importantly, that there are conversions taking place in the thousands. What's more is there in chapter 4, what Ed just read for us a minute ago, uh, we're told that there are people that Luke says from time to time, uh, people would sell their land and voluntarily bring all of the profits from the sale of that land and, and give it to the church. To, to be used by the church for, for people in the church that needed it and, and to help the church continue to grow and flourish. That there were people that were so sold out to the purpose of God, to what Jesus Christ was doing through the church that they said, you know what? I want this to be used and I want God not just to have a portion of it. I want him to have all of it. And we see all these things going on and we say, wow, that's amazing. That really is how it should be. And that's how I wish things were. And yet we get to chapter five and the story with Ananias and Sapphira. And it really is like a crash back to reality, isn't it? That we've gotten to live in this place where the church is everything we want it to be. And then we read the story and we're like, yeah, but I've seen probably maybe more of that in my lifetime in the church for some of us. It hits us so hard, and so as we look at it and as we read it, um, I, I think it's inevitably we're going to start asking ourselves the question of why. I, I know that this week as I was looking at it, I just started saying, why, Luke, did you put this in here? Why couldn't we just like not had this story? Let's look at all the good stuff that's going on. Give us the goal to strive for. We know the bad stuff. Tell us what we should be doing. I think for a lot of us too, we read it and we say, why did God deal with Ananias and Sapphira in this way? I mean, there are a lot of people we read about in Scripture that did things a whole lot worse than what they did and they weren't struck down dead right then and there. So what's the deal? And I think there's one answer to both of those questions, and that is that this story is meant to be a warning. It was a warning to the early church, and it's a warning to us now. That's why God did it then, and it's why Luke included it. And it's a warning to us about how easy it is in our lives to pretend. And how dangerous pretending like this really can be. 
I mean, before we get to Ananias and Sapphira, Luke gives us an example of just this self-sacrificial giving in, in, in the person of Barnabas. And, and we're told that, that he's done this thing. And, and, and what's more is that when he does it, people know about it. And they see it and they celebrate it. I mean, who wouldn't celebrate somebody selling their land and giving all of the profits, right? And so we know instantly that people have seen this. And what's more is that generosity in this way, grand generosity, is a value of, this, of the church. It's a value of God's. And see, that's the thing is whenever you're a part of a group, and it doesn't matter what kind of group it is, it can be your family, it, it, it can be your friends, it can be your school, it, it can be a job, it can be a social club, it can be your church. Every group has a set of values. Every group has certain things that they like and that they celebrate when they see it. And so when we know that, we're always going to have this tendency to pretend. You see, we, we think the, the question is, do we do it or not do it? But when we find ourselves, like Ananias and Sapphira did, in a place of, we, we find ourselves with a group of people that we like and we want to be a part of and we don't want to get kicked out of the group, the question for us isn't, do I do it or not? The question is, do I do it or do I pretend to do it? One way to describe and talk about my early adolescence, kind of my middle school years, uh, would be just talk about all the time I wasted in pretending to be something I wasn't. Um, one example of that is that uh, there were a few years in middle school, I, I, maybe a year. I, I, I don't want to own up to a few years, so we'll, we'll just say a year. There was a year in middle school where um, I wasn't as clean as I should have been. Let's just say that like personal hygiene was not a top shelf priority for me. And so um, I can remember my parents telling me, um, actually threatening me, that I had to go and take a shower. And the thing was, is I didn't want to take a shower. So instead of, it was a value of my family's, they didn't want me to stink up the place. And so I, I kind of knew that. And so inst instead of being able to just tell them, no, I'm not going to take a shower, I had one of two options. I could either go and take a shower or I could pretend to take a shower and, you know, it would make a whole lot more sense, I can see now, to just have gone and take a shower. But um, I went through painstaking processes to fake taking a shower. You see, um, I, I knew, like, I, I got it down to a science. I, I knew that... Um, when I went into the bathroom, our, our, our bathroom uh, didn't have a lock on the door. We actually had like one of those hanging hook locks. So you could actually open the door a little bit and, and, and see in, which is kind of creepy, I guess. But uh, that's what we had. And so I knew that like my parents every now and then would come to when I was supposed to be in the shower, check on me. And they'd, you know, open that door and like kind of peek in what they see. I figured out where the blind spot was in the bathroom so I could turn on the shower and stand in the blind spot. But then I realized that they had a way of figuring out if I was there. And so, I, I mean, I even went as far as I would get into the shower, stand in the shower with the shower on, and yet not be under the water. I mean, totally ridiculous, right? Why not just get in the water? Well, because I'd made the choice that I was going to pretend. And when you make that choice, you run with that choice. You sell that choice. You die to that reality of pretending that you've done what you said you did. And, uh, and so, yeah. 
when we are a part of something that we value, that we want to remain a part of, the choice we don't have is don't do it. The, the choice that's left to us is either do I do it or do I pretend to do it? As, as we look at Ananias and Sapphira here, we, we, we can see how easy it is for us to begin down that path and that process of pretending and, and how slowly it starts, how seemingly insignificant the beginning is, and yet how quickly it snowballs into something that is totally out of control and way bigger than something we ever thought it would be. For instance, the first thing that we see Ananias and Sapphira having to deal with and come to terms with it, and that starts them down this road that none of us want to be in, is having to deal with enduring expectations. And look, I, I don't think I need to spell out for all of us, you know, what expectations are or, or how we, we all know what, what it's like to live our life and orient our life around the idea that we're going to be judged by certain values. We'll, we'll be judged. Our, our worth will be determined by maybe how productive we are, how successful, and, and we all have uh, different variations of, of what success looks like or, or our reputation, what people think of us, the respect we garner, how useful we feel uh, in our work and what we're able to, to contribute. Uh, we have these things that are, are instilled in us from a very young age by by our, our, our society, um, our, our parents, even ourselves that are put on us that we say, this is what we need to be. This is what we need to structure our, our life around. And, and these expectations that we strive for become such a part of us that we've built so much of ourselves on them in the hopes to acquire them and, and gain them. That, that we want so much to, to be recognized by a, a group of people that, that when that recognition doesn't come, we say, okay, what do I need to do in order to gain that recognition. And, and, and we have a really hard time given long enough if we don't lay that expectation down uh, of figuring out, okay, where do I end? And, and, and that expectation begins. It becomes such a, a part of who we are that we can't imagine not having in our life. We can't imagine doing without it. The problem is, is, is when we come into a place like Ananias and Sapphira, we're, we're all of a sudden, our life has changed. We're a part of something different, and, and the values run counterintuitive to everything we've built our life around. What happens to us then if our expectations from our old life are allowed to endure in our new life? We're going to come to a crossroads, and we're going to be left with this question of, do I, I, I do what I should, or do I simply pretend to do it? And, and if our expectations endure, if we hang on to the world's idea of what success and value looks like, we're going to end up every time pretending to be something we're not. This is why Jesus' call in Matthew 16, 24, where, where he told his disciples, he, he, he says to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is a call that Jesus gives to, to his disciples, and it's not one that we really like to talk about. It's, it's actually one that I think we, we tend to shy away from. This idea of uh, taking up our cross, taking up our cross daily and following Jesus. But there is a reason, there's a deep reason why he calls us to do this. 
In Philippians, uh, Paul talks about how it, it was Christ humbling himself to obedience, obedience even to death, death on a cross, Paul says. Uh, this is what, uh, in, in Paul's words, we're, we're supposed to emulate in Christ, that, that we will be humble enough, that we will empty ourselves enough of the expectations that we have for our life, the expectations we've built our life around, to the point that we will let go of all of these things, that we will stop fighting of being actually doing the thing God is calling us to do and asking us to do, and, and we will be able to because we've let go of all of those things of letting go of our, our need for validation from other people, of letting go of the need to be recognized, of letting go of, of our own markers of success in our life. And being able to say there's actually only one marker of success. There's only one opinion that actually matters. Jesus says that the only way that we can hope to take up our cross. The only way that we can hope to be obedient so that we can actually do it instead of just pretending that's who we are is, is by laying these things down, these expectations we have for how things will turn out. We actually see in verse 8, Peter, uh, when, when uh, uh, Sapphira comes uh, to Peter after Ananias has died and been taken away and buried, Peter tries to give her a way out. He essentially asks her, he says, Sapphira, are you sure this is the full amount? Basically, he's talking to her and saying, you know there's a different standard. You, you, you know that you don't have to do this thing. Luke again says from time to time, it's voluntary. It's not required. Yes, generosity is a value of being a follower of Jesus, but it's going to be different for every person. It's a misunderstanding. Peter is trying to explain to her and reassure her, you're misunderstanding the point if you think that this is all about a set of rules that every single person has to follow the exact same way. Yes, there are things. Don't get it wrong. There are things that God is crystal clear on and they're black and white. But in the call to be generous in this way, God's going to lead some people to give it all. God's going to lead other people to give half of it. God's going to lead others to just only give maybe a tithe of it. So don't think that you have to do this thing. Don't think that it's some expectation that you have to live up to even if you don't want to, even if you can't. He tries to assure her that it's going to be okay, that this isn't the way her life is set up anymore. And yet we see her not being able to let go of this idea, this expectation that this is how I will be judged. Uh, in seminary, I, I had this professor that was, well, let's just say he wasn't regular. And I knew that right away because on the first day when we, when we got to class and, you know, every first day of class is the same where you sit down, they give you the syllabus and you go through the syllabus and they explain everything and you're sitting there and you're like, I know how to read. This is a waste of time, that sort of thing. This guy was different because we sat down, he gave us the syllabus and he looked at all of us and he said, you're adults and I'm going to treat you like adults. And I was like, well, this is different. And so uh, his syllabus was really different, especially his grading system. And he explained to us, he said, you know, I'm not going to grade you on things like class attendance. I'm not going to ask you for a reading report. None of that stuff. Um, because you're adults. And so if you want to be here, 
you can be here. If you don't want to be here, you don't have to be here. He said, you're here because this is a value to you and it's something you're going to need for what your, your, your career, your job. And so as much as you want to get out of it, you can get out of it. And if you want to cheat yourself, you can cheat yourself. So the only two things that you're going to be graded on, you're going to have a test at the end of the semester. So do enough reading that you need to do to pass the test. Come to class enough to pass the test. And everything you do read, I want you to take notes. And we actually were supposed to write like a two to three page paper at the end of every week of uh, there was a prompt and stuff. But he was like, I'm not going to like read these in depth. I'm going to see that you did it, put in some work into it. I'll give you a grade on it. But these are for you. He said, I'm, again, I'm treating you like an adult because I know that you're learning so much right now and you have so much going on that in one year, two years, five years, ten years down the road, when you actually need this stuff, you're not going to remember it. So this will give you something to go back to. And I remember sitting there and thinking, this sounds amazing. I've been waiting for this exact thing. I've been wanting somebody to treat me like an adult and just be like, hey, it's up to you how much you do. And if you don't want to get a lot of it, don't, that sort of thing. And so I walked out of there and I was really excited about it. But over the next couple of weeks, like there, we had like these conversations between the students and we were like, so how like real is this thing? Because this is really strange. We've never had anybody do this like this. It, like this. And, and it was always like you knew where you stood in every class because if you were going to class, if you were reading and you were able to say, I did 100% of the reading at the end of the semester and you did well on the test and whatever, you did well on whatever other assignments that they gave you, like you knew exactly where you stood where this was like a whole lot more ambiguous and like, I, I, I don't know. And, and Quite frankly, it was really hard to buy into the idea that this guy was telling the truth. I actually had this fear that we were going to get to the end of the semester, and if I didn't go to any classes, he's going to say, psych, I was doing this all the time. It was a test. You failed. You know, you got to come back and take the class and that sort of thing. And the expectations that had been drilled into me of what it means to be a good student, better yet, how you're going to be judged, that took over and I actually worked harder in that class than I think I've worked in any other class before because I was like, when he, like, when he does that, when, when he gets up there at the end of the semester and be like, this stuff matters all the time, I'm be like, yes, I knew it and I'm going to get an A and I'm you know, better safe than sorry and all those sorts of things. And so I ran back to what I knew. We love the idea in our life of, of grace and yet it's probably the hardest thing for us to live under. Because as much as we might say we don't like it and we chafe under it, we really do love the idea of and we're tempted to run back to a grading system every time we have the opportunity. We want to know where we stand. We want to know how we stand. Not just with God, but with other people. We want to know how we stack up with other people. I mean, isn't it true that we love the idea of not being able just to know like, hey, this is how I'm doing, but to look at other people and say, I know I'm doing better than them. And so I know I'm in a good spot. When our expectations are allowed to endure from our previous life, from before we knew Jesus, and we don't lay those down. We, 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 and we don't humble ourselves to the point that we're willing to take up our cross, letting all of that go and, and, and trusting God for what he says matters and who he says we are. We're, we're going to be building a life of pretending into our life. 
See, God wants us to know the freedom of being his children, not because we've earned our way there, not because we've done enough, not because we're better than others, but because he says we're his children. But when we put on a show and, and, and when we build our life around what we think people want to see and what we think God wants us to do, and it's not because we want to do it, we think it's because he wants us to do it. We take that first step in pretending. And the, and the thing we need to realize that we see with Ananias and Sapphira, is it's not just about our, our expectations enduring it. It's also the fact that this doesn't just happen by accident. Look with me there, starting in verse 1. It says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And if we jump down to verse 9, uh, Peter talking there to Sapphira, he asks her a question. He says, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord. Ananias and Sapphira's unwillingness to lay down their expectations, the expectations of uh, their desires, of, of being seen favorably by other people, and yet also uh, being able to hang on to their wealth. It, it led them to the next stage of pretending, and that is they began to deliberately plan. We're told that they have done this together, that they conspired together. And when we want something, when we're willing to take on the mantle of pretending to be something we're not, when we realize what it is we want, of how we want to be seen, and at the same time we realize that that isn't who we are, then automatically we become image consultants. We say that there's a version of me, a version that isn't real, but yet I want to project that. And so we start to plan for it because we know to get a, an image of ourselves out there, to project something to people, specifically if it's not there, is going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of time. We're going to have to be very deliberate with what we do, what we say, how we do it. See, this isn't something that we fall into accidentally, that, that pretending to be someone we're not is always a form of premeditated deception. And, th and that, is, that is a deception that, that goes deep. And, what, and what's more is the problem with that is what our motive is for doing these things. Because we won't do things just to do them. We, we will always make sure that, that we do them in a certain way, that we, that we say the right things, that the right people are there to see us to do it. Uh, Jesus warned uh, the people he was speaking to on the Sermon on the Mount this very thing. He told them, he said, when you pray, don't pray like other people do. They pray in public so that they'll be seen. He says, I tell you, that they've already gotten their reward. He said the issue isn't that they pray in public. The issue isn't that people see them. They do it so that they'll be seen. We like to be told so often, uh, we like to be given that list of, of a grading rubric and said, if you do these certain things, if you do this stuff, it doesn't matter how you do it, when you do it, how much you do it, you're okay. We also like to uh, think, be told, just don't do these things. And yet what God is constantly talking to us about is, is our motive. He, he says, your motive is the thing that matters more than anything. The issue with Ananias and Sapphira was their motive. They, they had bought into the idea that appearance was the quickest way to success. 
that given the choice of either doing it or pretending to do it, it was a whole lot easier to pretend to do it. And, and, and what's more is if they did that, people would think well of them and they would get exactly what it was they wanted. Notice the other example that Luke gives us. He, he, he talks about Barnabas and he says, you know what, people saw Barnabas do this. The problem wasn't that Barnabas had been seen. Because Barnabas' motives were pure. Barnabas was doing it because God had asked him to. And the issue with Ananias and Sapphira wasn't that they were seen doing this. It was that they wanted to be seen. And, and what's more is that they wanted it to be seen so badly that they were willing to lie to make it look like they had done it. We can actually think that it, it is truly better to fake it until we make it. That, you know what, it, it just didn't work out this time, but I, I see how important it is. Actually, me like acting like I did it, it shows how important I think it is, and so next time will be better. I, I think there's probably a degree that Ananias and Sapphira felt this way. That, we, hey, we get giving's important, and we like the idea, and we want to support it. It just didn't work out this time for us, but, you know, just know that we're in that place, and, and we want to do this. But the truth is, it doesn't work out like that. It doesn't work out like that because actually we end up going in the opposite direction. Uh, Tim Keller was uh, answering a, a letter from a, a pastor. He said, ministry is either going to make you a far better Christian or a far worse Christian than you would otherwise have been. What he was trying to get across to this pastor that he was writing to is that, look, this idea that, hey, if, if you just keep going through the motions, if, if you just keep faking it till you make, make it, you're going to get better at faking it. That each and every day that this isn't who you are and this isn't where you're at, you're going to get better about talking about prayer while not actually praying. You're going to feel more comfortable saying the things and, and going through the motions and, and attending church and, and preaching sermons and, and, and leading a Sunday school class and, and, and going to small group and, and, and being a part of the toy drive and all of these things where your heart is not in it and you're only doing it because you believe that it's, what, it's, it's expected of you by God, it's expected of you by other people, but your motives are not there. Your, your motive is not for God. It's going to push you to a point where that's not going to be who you are and you're going to become numb to that because you're not going to wake up one day and say, hey, this isn't who I am, so I'm not a pastor anymore. You're not going to wake up one day and say, I'm just not a Christian anymore. You're just going to get better at faking it. And you'll get more and more comfortable with that. And so the question that we all need to be asking ourselves and that the Holy Spirit is asking us all the time is, does it matter more how you look or how you are? What matters more to you? Do you care more uh, about how people see you and your reputation and if they think that you're a certain kind of Christian and believer? Or, or, or does it matter more to you that that is truly who you are? Or are you more willing to admit in the places where you're struggling or you don't have it all together? Are you more willing to say, my prayer life is not where it should be? Or are you afraid of what people will think of you if you do? I think we all know the weight of feeling like we have to build up and project and then hold up an image while everything underneath of it is crumbling. 
of, uh, of how hollow and empty we feel inside. And, and at first, it, it doesn't feel like much. But, but as we enter into this deliberate planning of how can I look this way, it is so exhausting day after day, time after time, to have to try to figure out the right words to say and the places to be and, and what to be a part of when, when our heart is not in it and that is not who we are and, and we feel fake and we wonder how did we get here and this isn't what we wanted and yet we feel so deep in. And all the while we're, 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 we're wondering, we want to be just released of all of this and, and yet we feel like we've gone too far. That's not what God wants for us. That's, that's not what his plan was for us. And yet our inability to lay down our expectations will bring us to the place of where we have to begin planning and figuring out how is it that I can look this way and people can think this about me. And before we know it, we will wind up in the same place that Ananias and Sapphira did where the result of our life is we will find ourselves in a relentless cycle of lying. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I, I, I think it's fair to say that we all know what it's like to get sucked into a, a cycle of, of lying, where, where we think, we, we, we tell one seemingly innocent lie, and, and yet before long we have to tell another, and then another, and then another, and before we know it, it it's turned into something we, we never thought it would be. Uh, when, when I was in middle school taking, you know, my, my showers, um, inevitably I, I would come out and my parents would ask me, they would say, hey, have you, have you showered? And yeah, I showered. And before long, I, I, they knew what was up. And so they would ask me other questions, deeper questions, harder hitting questions like, did you use soap? Yeah, I use soap. Of course I use soap. Yes. What do you think I am? Stupid. Yes. That's the point of a shower. I, I use soap. And, 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 and so then I, I had to go in and, and the deception had to get deeper. And so I started pouring soap and shampoo out into the drain. So it looked like I was using that stuff. And I would, I would pour way more than I needed to out. So it was obvious. Yeah, Matt's using soap. Oh man, he's using way too much soap. If, if anything, we need to tell him to calm it down on the soap, right? And, and we all know that when we get to that point that the, the next step is, isn't just that we're lying to other people. It, it, the best way to keep a lie going and to not slip up and be found out is to actually get yourself to believe in the lie. And so it's, it's not just that we will lie to others. We will lie, begin lying to ourselves. That I would stand there and I would convince myself and be like, you know, yeah, I, I put soap on. I saw myself put the soap on. I remember myself putting the soap on. I remember what it's felt like. I remember how much it burned as it washed off my body. All those sorts of things, right? I had the story down. And so I began to believe it. And, and that's the place that Ananias and Sapphira are in. That, and that is the dangerous place for us. Because when we are willing to finally lie to ourselves, to create a reality, to create a version of ourselves in our own mind that isn't real, and yet we begin to believe it is, we, no, there is nothing left to stop us from lying to God. And that is exactly what Peter says to Ananias, right? He says, Ananias, it is not that you're lying to me, you're lying to God. That in your desire to be this thing, to put this image of yourself out there, to pretend that you're something that you're not, you have convinced yourself to such a degree that this is who you, are, who you are. But even more than that, you have convinced yourself that God does not care about honesty and authenticity. That God does not care 
that you are trying to trick him. That God is a God who thinks, you know what, I'll give him a pass. This isn't that big of a deal. That you're in a place now that God can no longer work with you. That, that you're beyond the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And that you're going to go beyond this and, and do things that are going to make it a whole lot worse. That it, it got so bad in, in middle school, they're not taking showers. I mean, after a, a week of not taking showers as a middle schooler, things are not that pleasant. And so the deception got so, so desperate that, that I turned to the only thing that would work. The thing that I thought could cover it up, the answer to all my problems. Yeah, that's right. I began using Axe body spray. I would spray that stuff on. I would use it generously like I can at a time thinking this is what I've been missing in my life. This is the answer to all my problems because, I mean, obviously, they're going to smell the Axe body spray and be like, man, that guy's taking showers. He is clean. I, I think we're okay. We don't need to worry about him anymore. Let's move on to the other kids. We get so deep into a cycle of lying that we can't see a way out, that we will begin to do things that we think are making it better and actually, in fact, are making it worse. Because what is worse than a smelly 13-year-old walking around your house with Axe body spray on? Because there's nothing left in us. We, we, we have to, every step of the way, we have to portion parts of ourselves off. We have to actually let parts of ourselves die so we no longer feel what it is that's actually going on. We no longer feel who we truly are so that the image that we want others to see in ourselves, we can buy into as well. And so we let all of that stuff die and what we're left with is just like a stinking, rotting corpse that's covered in Axe body spray. And everybody can see and everybody knows it stinks. And the only people that we end up fooling are ourselves. And, and yet we're so deep into it that we can't see the way out even when it's offered. Because when Peter looks at Ananias, he says, Ananias, wasn't this your field before you sold it? And after you sold it, wasn't it still your money? Nobody's telling you, you have to give all your money. It's okay. If you're not in that place, if God is not asking you to do this, you can say that. You can admit it. No one here is expecting that from you. And Peter is, is pleading with him, giving him a way out, saying, don't buy into the lie that you have to be this thing. Lay, lay your expectations down. Stop doing all this so you, that you can be seen. You can stop the cycle right here. And Ananias is so deep into it. He is, so much of himself has been partitioned off so that he can no longer feel what is real versus what he wants to be real. And he can't take the way out. And that is God's warning to us this morning that when our hypocrisy of our life gets this deep, this far, Sooner or later, whether it's like Ananias and Sapphira right then in that moment or later down the line, every hypocrite will die. That, that we die to the reality of who we are, but even more than that, we die to what God has done and the freedom that he wants us to experience. That we burden ourselves with the weight of our lives and the image that we're trying to project 
and, and we become this shadow of a person walking around that everybody knows when you get below the surface, there's nothing more than a stinky, unwashed middle schooler walking around in Axe body spray. But the good news about all of this, I, I, I've been thinking so long this week, what, so what's the good news here? Are there, I mean, they, they die at the end of this. What hope is there for us? Is there hope? If we find ourselves down this road, whether we're struggling with the expectations of our life or we're actually in the phase where we're deliberately planning how it is that we can project this image of ourselves to people or worse yet, if we are just so far sucked into a cycle of lies and covering up who we really are that we can't even see a way out, we couldn't even respond to it if we want to. Is there any hope for us whatsoever? And there is, and the amazing thing is, is Jesus is offering that to each one of us this morning. And the answer to that is at the very beginning of the passage this morning. If you look there in chapter 4, verse 32, it tells us, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. The answer for us this morning is to believe. It's for you and me to believe that God is who he says he is. It's for us to believe that we are who he says we are. That there isn't some expectation that we have to live up to, that he claims us as his children how we are. And that we are free to own where we are at in him. To say that this may not be who I am now, but I would like to be that. And, and, and I know because of his grace that I'm okay right now. I'm saved, and, and yet he is, he is bringing me along. He is growing me more and more every day into the image of Christ. I'm not all the way there, and that's okay. That, that I don't have to put on the show for other people. That, that I can actually be truly generous with the things God has given me in the ways I would like to be, in the ways I aspire to be. But you know what? I'm not right there today. But I believe that he wants to do that in me and he wants that for me. And, and so I'm giving myself in that. that. That we would believe that our hearts can be all about him. That he can be our goal. That we don't have to act and pretend like he's our goal while we're running after other things, but he can actually be the thing that we aspire for. I, I was talking to uh, Pastor Ed about uh, this passage this week, and um, we, we were talking about just kind of the hard nature of the story. And Ed said to me something that I was feeling. I hadn't been able to put it all together, but, but, he, but he said, isn't that a good way to like take credit for something? You know, somebody else said, oh, I, was, I was thinking it, but uh, he said it. Um, he, um, he said, ultimately, he said, I, I, I take a lot of heart and promise with the story of Ananias and Sapphira. He said, because re really what it's about is that their issue wasn't that they, they didn't give. Uh, their issue um, was their motive. That their motive ultimately wasn't for God. That their motive was for something else. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be thought of a certain way. And, and they took it to a degree that he said, you know, um, I know even when I get things wrong, 
that I'm willing to let the Holy Spirit talk to me, correct me, and, and, and keep bringing me into and building me into the image of Jesus Christ. To believe that that's what God wants for us and that's what he can do for us. That's the freedom that he wants us to know, that we can, that, that we can be truly ourselves and, and that is good enough. And that he loves us enough to, to come to us and, and, and love us and call us his children where we are, but he also loves us enough to not leave us where we are. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, come to you and Lord, I admit it, it is far too easy sometimes to project what I, I think is expected of me or, or how I want people to see me out of fear of rejection or, 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 or losing uh, reputation or whatever that fear may be. And yet, Lord, you have shown me so many times that in the moments where I am willing to humble myself, uh, to let go of all of those things and just simply say, this is where I am at and, and, and this is who I am and, and I am trying my best to let God have his way in me. Lord, it's in those times that I am met with the most grace and compassion in the church and also in your love. Lord, would you, I, I pray for each one of us this morning, would you show us that? Would, would you show us that grace and compassion? Would you, would, would you give us the humility to, to admit where we are? And Father, would you in our hearts truly make the goal of our lives not the expectations that we carry with us from, from times before we knew you, from things that have been said for us, what, what we would like to be. But Lord, would the goal of our life be to, to know you, to worship you, and to enjoy you? And Father, would we lay everything else aside so that it would be your name we glorify and your life we emulate? Thank you for the promise that this, is, this can be the reality of who we are and what we live for. It's in your name we pray. Amen.